just because he's God. Amen. Amen. If there's nothing else that we have to praise him for this morning, that alone was enough. Just because he's God. So this morning we continue in our series, Jesus on Prayer. And we're studying why it's important that we have faith as we pray. So this theme of faith in prayer or faith in the miraculous is a theme that is constantly emphasized in multiple encounters between Jesus and his disciples. For example, over in Matthew 17, there is a story of a man who brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples asking that they would heal him, that they would cast the demon out, and they couldn't cast out the demon. And in desperation, this same dad goes back before Jesus and he explains the situation and the very first words out of Jesus' mouth when addressing the crowd who was watching at that moment is he said, you unbelieving and perverted generation. He emphasizes the unbelief. He then cast the demon out and right after that, the disciples come back to Jesus and they say, why couldn't we cast it out? And here's Jesus' words, because of the littleness of your faith. Faith is important to God. Now, typically, people approach prayer from one of three perspectives, either skeptical hesitation, selfish aspiration, or biblical expectation. That is, skeptically hesitant people, they don't necessarily believe in the power of prayer. They don't necessarily believe in the process of prayer. They're not sure if God is going to answer or not, but if you put them in a desperate situation, they will pray anyway just in case there's a skeptical hesitation about them. Those with selfish aspirations, they try to hold God hostage to what they pray. They think that just because they verbalize something, now God is somehow obligated to do exactly what they have asked. And and they think that by saying it, God has to do it for them. There is selfish aspiration. And then there's also those with biblical expectation. That is, they believe in God. They believe God answers prayer. And in faith, they bring their requests before God, recognizing that God's will and God's ways and God's timing are perfect, and they trust him with the results. There is a biblical expectation. That's the camp that we want to be in. That's the group that we want to see our lives modeled after. We want to humbly submit our desires and our requests before God, trusting in God's response is not only going to be for our good, but also for his glory. So the question here is, why did Jesus emphasize faith in our prayers? Why is that an important thing? Why is it not enough that we just simply say, well, God, I gave you my needs Why do I need to truly believe that you'll do it? If you're sovereign, you'll do it. That's often one of those questions that comes up. If God is sovereign, if God is going to do what God desires to do, why do I need to even bring up a prayer request? Why do I need to emphasize my faith? Like, why is faith so important here? This is something I shared this morning with our early Sunday morning prayer team. One of the ongoing prayers of my life is that I can ask God for the miraculous, And I can be genuinely excited with whatever he answers. And here's why that's important. When you're asking God to do big things, 
If God does something different than what you think he's going to do, sometimes it chips away at your faith so that next time you're not sure, should I ask God for something a little bit less this time? I want to be able to ask God for the miraculous. I want to be able to ask God for those mountain-moving moments of life. I, I want to be able to ask him for big things, and when God responds, I want to praise him with all of my heart because I trust him. I trust his answer. I trust his ways. I trust his methods. That's why this is such an important text. He is merging why it is that faith and prayer need to go hand in hand together. So this morning, I invite you to go with me in your Bibles, Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 21 through 24 today, and I'm speaking on the subject of believing prayer. Now, as you're finding your place in the text, I want to take just a few moments before we read the text to kind of set up what's happening at this particular point in the biblical narrative. That is, there's several key moments that are all coming together that help shape what this story is all about. Uh, first, this is at the end of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry. This is happening just before he goes to the cross. So he's about to enter into Jerusalem. And when he comes into Jerusalem, it's been referred to as the triumphal entry. As he comes in, there's a group of people that are shouting his praises, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's going to go into the temple with his disciples. He's going to look around for a moment, and he's going to turn right back around, and he's going to leave for the town of Bethany. As he's leaving Jerusalem to go to Bethany, the Bible tells us that Jesus is hungry, and he sees a fig tree off to the side. And he goes over to the fig tree, and he finds out there's no figs on the tree, and he curses the fig tree. In fact, in the section it says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say that. The next day, they go back into Jerusalem, and as they enter into the temple is when Jesus goes through and he drives out the money changers. That is the table-tossing incident with Jesus. And the kind of the, the idea behind that is his house is to be called a house of prayer. It's a place for the nations to come and to see the glory of God and the significance of God and the holiness of God. And yet, in this situation, the religious leaders had turned the house of God into, as he says, a robber's den. What they were doing is when people would come to offer their sacrifices, they would say, your sacrifice is not good enough, but if you walk over to that table right there, you can buy another one that you can offer here. But that new sacrifice was at an exorbitant rate. They were robbing God's people. So Jesus comes in and he tosses the tables up and then he and his disciples, they leave again. So think about those pieces. There's the triumphal entry. There's the cursing of the fig tree. There's the table-tossing incident. Jesus calling out the religious crowd, and when he does, here's what he says. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? He re-describes, re-declares what the temple is to be about. That's the context in which Jesus is going to now teach about faith and prayer. So that's where we pick up. Look with me, if you would, verses 21 through 24. It says in verse 21, Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, 
have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you have prayed and asked, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into this text, God, I pray for unbelievable freedom in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would personalize this message and help people see exactly where in our prayer lives right now we are either walking in complete faith in you or whether or not we're walking in faith in something else. God, I'm praying that you would meet us in such a clear way through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus cursing the fig tree is considered to be one of the most confusing texts that you find in the Bible. It's an anomaly within the Gospels. The reason it's such a strange text is because it is the only text in which Jesus does a miracle of destruction. All of the other times he's doing a miracle. He is healing. He is restoring. He is reviving. He is doing something that seems miraculous and good and encouraging and hopeful. And here, it almost seems as though Jesus takes out his frustration, takes out his hunger pangs on this poor fig tree. And it's almost like he uses his power in selfish ways. He's going to curse the tree like, you didn't provide fruit for me, you're done. It, that's almost what it seems like from the surface. But there is a much deeper and richer story that is taking place underneath this. The text is purposefully dramatic in the way that the Old Testament prophets would have purposefully dramatic moments. That is, he uses this particular scene to illustrate two types of condemnation. Here's the first type. It's in your notes. He condemns promise without fulfillment. He condemns promise without fulfillment. The leaves promised fruit, but the tree had no fruit. The fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. For thousands of years, God had been preparing Israel for the coming of what was referred to as the promised one or Messiah. The nation prayed for and they longed for the day that Messiah would come. The national record of the people was that when Messiah came, they were going to rejoice and they were going to celebrate Messiah has come. Their record said it's going to be a celebration. But when Jesus, the promised one, shows up, most people didn't recognize him. And many others did not follow him. The fact that Jesus entered Jerusalem to the praises of a handful, he walks into the temple and the religious leaders are robbing God's people. And he virtually walks back out almost unnoticed, lets us see how anticlimactic the triumphal entry was from what it should have been. Instead of it being a handful of people, it should have been the city coming together. It should have been the nation coming together. When he walked into the temple, they should have said, the king is here, the priest is here, Messiah is here. It should have been that type of celebration. And yet he walks back out almost unnoticed. Israel represented a promise without fulfillment. But second, he condemns profession without practice. Fig leaves were usually a sign of figs. Whether or not they were small 
Whether or not they were unripe, that is beside the point. When the leaves would come, the small figs would come with it. It says in the text, it was not the season for figs. It was not the time that they would all be ripe, but there should have been some small figs at that particular time. The leaves promised something the tree did not have. Profession without practice is condemned throughout the Bible. Words don't mean much unless it's backed up with actions. So when you get into the New Testament, our actions are referred to as our fruit. Fruit is that true sign of repentance. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 16, you will know them by their fruits. John the Baptist says over in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So it's one thing for somebody to say, I'm a Christian. It's another thing for their life to have spiritual fruit that backs up the claim, I'm a Christian. So basically, our profession is validated by our fruitfulness. If we profess to be God's people but have no fruit of righteousness, that is profession without practice. Now let's hit the pause button for just a moment. Jesus uses this context again. Context of triumphal entry, cursing the fig tree, driving out the money changers, as well as the declaration, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations in order to teach a lesson about faith and prayer. So what exactly is the lesson that he's trying to teach? We're going to spend the bulk of our time on this first truth. Here it is. Effective prayer requires our faith first to be in God. Effective prayer requires our faith first to be in God. Peter says in verse number 21, He says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Jesus' response was not, and I hope all the other trees were paying attention to that. (laughs) His response, have faith in God. It's almost like what Jesus is saying doesn't match what Peter just said. He's like, Peter's all excited, like the fig tree. It's almost like he's surprised. Like, I heard him curse it, and now it's dead. Hey, Jesus, did you know you just killed? Like, he's surprised in Jesus' response. Have faith in God. That seems so elementary. It almost seems like we don't need to say it. If you're a Christian, of course you have faith in God. But this is more about priority and about emphasis. What are we ultimately placing our faith in? Christians and non-Christians alike place our faith in other things first, often before God. We place our faith in our processes. We place our faith in our Bible knowledge. We place our faith in our experience. I've already been here. I know what to do in this moment. We place our faith in our own wits and wisdom. We place our faith in the fact that when we pray, we think our prayers are so strong, that's going to be enough. We place faith in our faith. Think about that for just a moment. We say, but I got great faith, and our emphasis is on our faith. We place faith in people that respect that they're going to do the right thing. We, we place faith in any and everything along the way. And sometimes we understand in the back of our mind, sure, I have faith in God, but it's not where our faith goes to first. The issue is not, do we have faith? The issue is, where are we placing our faith first? 
to be effective in prayer, we need to first have faith in God. When our faith is first in God, we are not rocked if God says no. Because our faith was in him. When we have faith first in God, we're not taken back when God answers differently than what we prayed. Do you know why? Because we know in our minds, he is all wise and he is sovereign. He sees what I do not see in this moment. Because of that, what he answered was for my good and for his glory. When he answers differently, our faith is not shaken. It's still in the right place. When our faith is first in God, we trust that his answers are best, that his timing is perfect, that his will is good, that his way is best. Our lives take on this unshakable quality when our faith is first in him. So in this story, Peter is enamored by what prayer did. He was excited about the fact that the tree had now withered. It had died. The the one that Jesus cursed, it's now dead right in front of Peter. And Jesus' response was, have faith in God. Here's why that's important. If our focus is even on the answer, what happened or why it happened, we can still miss the point. God's answers should not distract us from God. If we walk away and say, what an answer, and we don't walk away and say, what a God, we're already looking at the wrong thing. Our faith is first supposed to be in God. Our faith is to be in him. So the moment that we see this shift, it it seems subtle, but it's so absolutely important. If God gives us, if God grants those big things, and we walk away focused on that thing instead of praising him for who he is, we just missed a moment right there. His prayers, his answers to our prayers should not distract us from him. Now this moment is so much bigger than it being a dead fig tree. So here's the pieces that help us understand why Jesus did what he did and why this is a perfect place for him to teach about faith and prayer. So here's the backstory. I've kind of given a little bit. Let's pull it out some more. Throughout the Old Testament, God promised to send the chosen one. It was predicted by the prophets. It was promised in the scriptures. For thousands of years, the Jewish people had been waiting And those thousands of years, they were not always great times. There were ups and there were downs. At moments along the way, they were enslaved. At other moments, they were freed. At some times, they were nomads wandering the wilderness. At other times, they were residents in the land of Canaan. At certain points, they lived in rebellion against God. At other points, they walked in faithfulness with God. It's been ups and downs. And all along the way, Messiah had not yet come. And many had given up. There are many who were saying at this point, if Messiah hasn't come by now, he's not going to come. Others were saying, if he's not shown up when we had this great need, if he's not stepped in at this moment, if he's not sent the chosen one to deliver when we've been in bondage, then certainly he's not coming. All along the way, God says, I'm sending one. I'm sending one. I'm sending one. And all along the way, ups and downs, the people were saying, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready, and then Messiah came. Jesus is born. His life, his 
teachings, his miracles fulfilled the prophecies. For three and a half years of earthly ministry, he walked among the very people who said, we are eager and ready to receive Messiah. After three and a half years of him saying, I'm the one, of showing his power over disease and demons and storms and death itself. Three and a half years of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus now arrives in Jerusalem as the fulfillment of God's promise. But instead of the nation welcoming their king, there's a small crowd of farmers and shepherds and peasants who are singing his praises. He walks into the temple, his house, There's no coronation of him as king. There's no celebration of him as Messiah. The temple has been corrupted. I said a few moments ago, the fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel. Back over in Hosea chapter 9 verse 10, it describes God's joy over his chosen people. It says, when I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree tree. God's desire for his people was to bless them. His desire for his people was that he would be their God and that they would follow him. He desired to make them an example of this is what it looks like when the sovereign creator God is this people's God. That's his desire. Yet all the way through the Old Testament, he has to send prophet after prophet after prophet to call his people back from faithlessness. All along the way, he keeps bringing them back, bringing them back, bringing them back, prophet after prophet. The last prophet to show up before Jesus is John the Baptist. Now listen to what John said again. To the religious crowd, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Listen to this. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God gave a promise through John the Baptist. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Practice what you profess because the ax is already being laid at the root. Now listen, when the nation refused to receive the chosen one, when the nation refused to accept Jesus as Messiah, God kept his word. Symbolically, he brought down the symbol of the nation, which was the fig tree. Now put the pieces together. The fig tree was outwardly fruitless. The temple was inwardly corrupt. While God still has a plan for Israel as his chosen people, God is also a God of his word. When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. Here's the lesson. If God said it, it's going to happen. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. But what if God doesn't answer immediately? Have faith in God. What if God answers differently than I prayed? Have faith in God. What if the circumstances go in the opposite direction? Have faith in God. What if the pain comes before the answer? Still have faith in God. The issue here is where are you placing your faith first? That's the foundation. Now let's go into this next truth. Effective prayer requires us to have faith in God's answers 
to our prayers. It starts with having faith first in God, and then there's faith in God's answers to our prayers. If you would, look again in verse number 23. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Now this is the part where a lot of Christians get excited. We want some of that mountain-moving type of prayer. We want some of that Christian Jedi Knight type of prayer. We want to be able to pray for the miraculous, pray for big things. We want to be able to pray for things that we're going to be telling our grandkids about somewhere down the road. And now Jesus is saying, if you pray and believe in your heart, you can say to that mountain, get up and move, and it'll do that. And we're like, Jesus, that's what I want. We're ready. Like, tell us what it is. We're taking notes. Ready to go. Taking notes. And here's his four words for that. Have faith in God. It didn't change. How do do the mountains move? The mountains move not because of the amount of time you're verbalizing your prayers. All it takes in the sovereign hand of a God is say, God, I need, and he can move it immediately. Mountains don't move because of the length of our prayers. They don't move because of the size of our need. Mountains move because of the size of our God. Have faith in God. That's what the whole thing is about. He's saying for thousands of years, he said, Messiah's coming, chosen one's coming. You didn't believe, you didn't believe, you didn't believe, and he's here He said in this thing, he cursed the fig tree, the symbol of the nation. They're like, look at the tree. He's like, no, that's not the point. Have faith in God. When God says something, God keeps his word. Have faith in God. That's what the point here is. Believing prayer is more than just saying, God, here's my list. It's saying, I believe in God. I believe he is there. I believe he hears. I believe he cares. I believe he knows. I believe he understands. I believe his timing is perfect. I believe he can make a way where there is no way. I believe no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I believe every word of his word. I believe when God says it, it's done. I believe in him. So whatever he chooses to do, that's okay because my faith is first in him. That's what he's saying in the text. If that's our prayers, if that's our prayers, all of a sudden it shifts the way we begin to operate in prayer. We can pray for the miraculous. We can pray for the big things and fully believe our God knows. Our God can handle it. This is a verse that is so misunderstood today. Jesus is not saying for a moment, The Christians need to go around haphazardly saying, mountain, get out of here. Tree, I don't like you. You're cursed. Like, this this is not flippant type of prayer. That phrase right there was actually a common Jewish expression that was used of removing difficulties. It, It was one of those that was used primarily of wise teachers. A wise teacher was said to teach a truth in such a way it would remove the difficulties or barriers in the student's mind. And when that happened, they were said to be a mountain remover. Okay, It was actually even said of one particular rabbi, his name was Rabbi Lahish, 
that when he taught, an observer once said, it was as if he were plucking up the mountains and moving them. Here's what Jesus is saying. When your faith is first in him, he will move the mountain he needs to move. He will remove the obstacle that needs to be removed. He will simplify what is complicated. He will work through all of the steps that are needed. When your faith is first in him, that's how there's the mountain-moving faith. It's not because our prayers are like so unbelievably amazing. God has to do something now. It's because our God is so unbelievably unlimited that he can do whatever he desires in a moment. The question is, what happened to the believers who said, I want to see it? That's why I said a few moments ago at the beginning, one of my prayers is, God, help me to still pray for the miraculous and to still be absolutely grateful for however you respond. You know as well as I do, when you've gone to God and you have laid your heart before him and you have labored in prayer before him, and it's months and sometimes years and you've said, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, and it seems like God goes in another direction. It's in those moments it's easy to say he doesn't care, he doesn't hear, he doesn't want to. It's easy for that to chip away, and the enemy will take every opportunity to chip away at your faith. That's why it's so important for believers to come together, and we share the stories. We share the struggles. We say, I was trusting God in this, and God had a different answer, but I still praise him for it. And sometimes we say, I was trusting God for this, and God answered abundantly above all I could ask or think, and I praise him for that. Sometimes we sit there and we say with somebody else who's been praying for a long time, I've been praying as well for years and years, but I'm still walking in faith, walking in faith. Keep journeying with me together in faith. Believers need to hear the stories of others who have shared their heart before God. Otherwise, the enemy will beat you to death in your own house. He'll make you think God answers other people's prayers. He's not listening to yours. I'm going to tell you, there's like three quarters of this message right now that's like spinning in my mind, going in a different direction. We're going to see what happens here. When we sang that last song, I about came out my skin. I almost had my own private rapture up here a few moments ago. Because you're praising him just because he's God. And if he chooses to answer different, doesn't change my praises. Do you know that's why corporate worship is also such a huge thing? You need to be around other believers because when you know their story and you know their journey and you walk where they're seeing and you recognize the fact those hands are still lifted up. They're still praising God. You know what that says? If they could still praise him, God, you got hope for me. I can do it too. That's why also, ooh, ooh, watch out. Watch out online. Watch out. Here it is. Okay. You don't see that when you're watching online. Listen. Hey, you can get some lessons watching from a distance. Praise God for technology that allows people to be connected if they're unable to be in the room. But you were never designed to sit at home and watch online. 
God called you to be a part of community. There's something that happens in community. You don't get through TV. You don't get through the computer screen. You got to be there in the room because when you're in the room and the Spirit of God drops in that room, everybody around you knows what's going on. And then you try to describe that to people. And here's what you say, should have been there. You got nothing else you can say other than that because you can't explain it when the Spirit of God moves in an unexplainable way and you recognize you got caught up in something of eternity past, eternity future, a sovereign God, and you just sit there and say, God, I don't want to move from this place. Mm. All right. Listen. It starts with have faith in God. Have faith in God. We cannot doubt God's character and expect to walk in God's power. Doubt speaks of our lack of faith, not of God's lack of ability. It's in faith that the word of God says we're accessing God's power. James chapter 1, 6 through 8, it tells us we must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. No one's faith is perfect apart from Christ. But even weak faith placed in God can do incredible things. Do you remember the story of Peter walking on water? That's a pretty epic moment. I've yet to have a water walking experience. I've had a couple times like a snake came out or something like that. I thought I was going to start my water walking ministry, but it didn't happen. Okay, here's the thing. If you read that account, Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus referred to that as little faith. Even little faith placed in the right one can still do miraculous things. Jesus took the little faith of this This dad who had a son who was demon-possessed, he took his faith. The dad even said, I believe, help my unbelief. He took it, and he still cast the demon out. God's not asking for our faith to be perfect before he acts. He wants us to take the faith we have and place it in him. Read verse 24 with me, if you would, again. Therefore I say to you, all things... For which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. This is one of those that you've got to go back once again and read it through the context of Scripture. Matthew 6.10, for your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus emphasized the importance of God's interest, not ours. Mark 14.36, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, he modeled submission to the Father's will. 1 John 5.14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's important that we are praying and we're studying scripture so that the word of God is interpreting the word of God. Not that you're pulling out one passage to the exclusion of the rest of Scripture, but rather let Scripture interpret Scripture. When we have faith first in God, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them. Whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever mountain needs to be removing, if you're looking and your faith is first in Him, you can trust that God is going to do what is right and it's granted to you. 
Sometimes God gives us the grace to face the mountain. Sometimes he gives us the strength to climb the mountain. Sometimes he gives you the wisdom to walk around that mountain. Sometimes he gives you the faith to look through the mountain as to what he's doing on the other side. Sometimes he gives us the gift of removing the mountain. But listen, regardless of his leading and his intervention, he's always with us at the mountain. Have faith in God. So as we reflect on this for just a moment, as we close out, what mountain is in front of you right now? Is it a financial mountain? Have faith in God. Is it a lost loved one mountain? Have faith in God. Is it an addiction mountain? Is it a relational mountain? Is it a situation where you have been begging God to work within his church? Is it a situation that you're looking in our country and you're saying, God, do something? Is it a situation that for years you've been begging God that he would send revival and awakening and the mountain just seems to get bigger and bigger day after day? What is the mountain that is in front of you? Whatever it is, have faith in God. When God promises, he delivers. Somebody might say, I don't know if I've got that much faith. It's not about the size of the faith, but the size of the God. So think of it like this. If you were to go to Long Beach, California right now, sitting in the docks, is the ocean liner, the Queen Mary. It was used in operation from 1936 to 1967, crossing back and forth with the Atlantic. It's one of those wonderful, iconic seagoing vessels. Now, you might not like the water, and you might say, I only got a little bit of faith that a ship of that size can get me across the Atlantic. But a little bit of faith in the right thing can get you to the other side safely. You might have all the faith in the world you can cross the Atlantic in a rowboat. Hopefully, you got some good life insurance. All the faith in the wrong thing is still going to lead to pain on the other side. Here's what he's saying. Have faith in him. You got a little bit of faith? Put it in him. You, you got growing faith? Put it in him. You're, you're hurting? Put it in him. He'll take you to the other side safely. Somebody might say, I've been praying for a long time. Nothing has happened. Number one, your story is not over with yet. As long as there's breath in your body, your story's not done. The nation of Israel waited thousands of years for the promise. Now, for somebody who wants God to answer right now, that's probably not a lot of encouragement right there. But the issue is, when God says it, he'll do it. Second, Instead of focusing on what you don't see yet, focus on what you do have now. So let me give you the one thing and we close out. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, let me tell you why it is for the rest of your life you can trust God with every single part of your being. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he saved you. For that to happen... He had to quicken a dead spirit. He had to illumine a deceived mind. 
and he had to call a person in rebellion to himself in repentance. For that to happen, he saved you of your sin, past, present, and future. For you to be saved, it means that he has now opened up access to the throne room of God and given you opportunity to come any time you need before his throne. For you to be saved also means that for your life, it is one that he heaps his grace and his mercy and his provision on top of you. He has promised to give you heaven when you die. If you got nothing other than being saved, that's far more than any of us deserved. But that's also so much so that for the rest of our lives, we can say, I trust him. I trust him. If my eternal destiny is in his hands, I can trust him with this situation in front of me right now. If all you got was salvation, let it be the foundation of your life to keep trusting him more. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for prayer. Heads bowed for just a moment. Everything that I've described so far comes back to trusting God, trusting his ways. It, it begins for a person in have they trusted Jesus first as Lord and Savior of their life? If they have, you've got a foundation that you can build on. If you've not, that's the first stop in the journey. That's the first place that you need to put down a milestone. Have faith in God. There's others in the room right now, you've been praying about something for a long time. But your faith has been in some other peace other than God first. If these circumstances change, it'll answer my prayer. If this person is removed, it'll be what we need. If this resource comes in, if that job opens up, like the faith is in something else other than just coming before God and saying, God, my faith is in you. You know what is best in this situation. Have faith in God. Don't let the enemy use past moments of misunderstanding in order to rob you of that mountain-moving type of faith and answers to prayer. So I'm going to encourage you in just a moment as we sing this final song of invitation. I'm going to encourage you today. However God is leading and working in your life, respond to him. Our pastors are going to be down at the end of the aisles right now. There's going to be some of the pastor's wives that will be with them. There's going to be counselors off to the side. If you need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with you, there's people who want to do that. We're here to serve. But a lot of this comes back to will you take that step in order to see God's activity move freely in your life. Have faith in God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, we're asking today, would you move? Would you free your people? Would you allow those who have been begging you to step in? God, would you allow faith to first be in you and for people to be encouraged in their walk? And, God, I'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?